There's a concept in the wine grape industry called terroir. It can sound like a kind of a wine snob thing, but it does refer to something real. There are a lot of things that influence the quality of wine. The climate, the soil, the kind of grape that's being grown, and the weather in any given growing season. That's why we talk about appellations of grapes that come from a certain place and vintages about the wines from a certain year. Now, wheat may seem like a much humbler crop, but in many ways, it's just as complicated as wine grapes. It matters what kind of wheat is grown where, and there are year-to-year differences in quality based on weather. We don't use the terminology, but we certainly could talk about appellations or vintages for wheat-based products. We could even talk about the terroir for wheat. So on today's podcast, I'd like to talk about why wheat is like wine. This is Pop Agriculture, the podcast that blends pop culture with agriculture to tell the stories of the plants, processes, and people who have shaped modern crop production. A true farm-to-table connection that puts food into perspective with your passionate plant scientist host, Steve Savage. Back in the late 90s, I was doing a consulting project for a client that was involved in new technology for wheat growers. So we were on our way to a university, and my contact told me that we'd be meeting some experts there who were serial chemists. What I first imagined was a serial chemist with an S, someone who keeps committing chemistry over and over again. I know, insert dad joke here. But what my client meant was a serial chemist with a C, someone who measures the important quality characteristics of a crop like wheat. That was the start of a steep learning curve for me about what turns out to be a very complex and interesting set of crops that we call wheat. Now, around 10,000 years ago, ancient farmers in the Middle East collected grain from wild grasses, and eventually they learned to plant the seeds that they liked the best. Somehow, nobody knows how, they accidentally ended up selecting a hybrid that combined three different species, and that became wheat. In his book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, the author Jared Diamond explores how that staple crop became one of the key drivers for the success and expansion of what we now call Western culture. Over the centuries, humans selected and eventually intentionally bred specialized types of wheat for different uses and wheat that would grow well in various geographies. Today, if you want a good wheat for making Asian noodles, a great choice is a soft white winter wheat that grows well in the Pacific Northwest region of the U.S. If you want a wheat for making artisan bread, you really want a hard red spring wheat, and the best quality for that comes from the northern plains, places like Minnesota and North Dakota, or from the prairie provinces of Canada. If you want wheat for making crackers, you'd be looking for a soft red winter wheat grown someplace like Kentucky. And if you want to make good pasta, you want what's called durum wheat, which grows well in the northern plains again, and also at high elevations in Arizona. Globally, there are types of wheat grown that are best for naan or pita bread or even for wheat-based beers. You name the wheat-based product, and there's probably a specialized kind of wheat to make it. So back to those cereal chemists I met, it turns out that the quality of aspects of wheat are things that can be measured. And those chemists I met with talked about things like falling numbers and elasticity and dough strength. And they talked about a mix of different kinds of starch. They told me how some kinds of wheat have very high levels of protein and how farmers get paid partly on that basis. To give some perspective, 
There's a yearly report on the U.S. hard red spring wheat crop, and it lists eight grading categories and 11 measures of kernel quality. It's pretty complicated stuff. In the U.S. and Canada, we export more than half of the wheat we grow, mostly to consumers in Europe and Asia. And what drives those markets is quality. For instance, with wetter, longer growing seasons, Europe can raise wheat with much higher yields. But those countries still import a lot of North American wheat to be able to make the kinds of breads, pastries, and pasta that they love. So just as with wine grapes, wheat is a quality-driven crop. Now, let's talk about pests. Another similarity between wheat and wine is that for both crops, farmers have to protect their plantings from pests. And for both grapes and wheat, fungal diseases are one of the major challenges. In this area, wheat actually has an advantage over wine because wheat is an annual crop and goes through a generation each year. So it's possible to overcome some of the pests by breeding the wheat for resistance. It still takes many generations of breeding to get a wheat variety that has all the important quality characteristics along with this new pest resistance gene, but it's possible to do this. With grapes, breeding for pest resistance really isn't an option. First of all, it would be an extremely slow process for a crop that takes several years for each generation. Also, there's a tremendous tradition around specific wine grape varieties. We've been using the same ones chosen hundreds of years ago because we know their quality traits. And basically, you don't mess with that. Back to wheat, there's one fungal pest called stem rust, and it used to be a major limiting factor for wheat worldwide. One of the big advances of what we call the Green Revolution in the 1960s was that they found some durable genetic resistance to stem rust. And that trait was shared by wheat breeders around the world. They got that into all those different kinds of wheat, and stem rust was almost a non-issue for 50 years. Eventually, a resistant line of the fungus showed up in Uganda in 1999, and that UG99 strain has now moved to many other wheat-producing regions. So, the breeders around the world are cooperating to come up with a new form of resistance and get that into all the different wheats. But in the meantime, farmers are able to maintain production and quality using various fungicides. And those fungicides actually are important for the control of other diseases as well, depending on the region. Back in the 1870s, a disease of wine grapes called downy mildew showed up in Europe. Previously, it had only infected the wild grapes of North America. Well, fortunately, French grape growers found an early fungicide that saved their industry at the time, and since then, much better fungicides have been developed. The growers in France still use the same grape varieties they grew before, and any wine-growing region around the world that has summer rainfall still relies on fungicides to protect those favorite old cultivars. Now, for both wine grapes and wheat, controlling pests is important for quality. For wine grapes, even a very low level of infection of another disease called powdery mildew can compromise the taste of the finished wine, so grape growers have to use fungicides to maintain quality. In this case, that's true even for regions with dry summers like California or Chile. For wheat, there's one particular disease that can really affect quality. If it rains during the part of the season when the wheat plants are flowering, a fungus called fusarium can infect and make its way into the developing wheat kernels. That will hurt the grower's total yield, but it can also compromise the grain because the fungus makes a mycotoxin, 
the mycotoxins called deoxynivalenol, which nobody likes to pronounce, so they call it DON, D-O-N. And actually, the common name for this chemical is vomitoxin because of what happens if you feed animals contaminated wheat. Yeah, you get the picture. So far, only partial genetic resistance has been found for this particular pest. There are some fungicides that can help as well, but the timing for those applications is tricky. In years when there are rains at the critical flowering period, the wheat industry in a region has to be careful to test for the presence of this mycotoxin and keep it completely out of the food supply. In the developed world, that screening process works well, but it's the farmer who bears the cost if their crop is rejected for this quality issue. That's why they do their best to prevent the infections with a fungicide. Another strategy that many wheat farmers use is to plant several different wheat varieties on their farm so that they'll bloom at different times. And that's a way to spread out the risk of getting rain at that critical moment. So growers can make this work by combining that planting strategy with some resistant varieties and a well-timed fungicide application when it's needed. Even with all these different subcrops of wheat and with all the quality demands, global wheat production has a great track record in terms of land use efficiency and sustainability. In the 50 years since 1960, worldwide wheat production increased by a factor of 2.6, meaning there's now about 40% more available wheat per person, even with population growth. And 97% of that increase in production came from farmers being able to grow more wheat on the same amount of land. Without that increase in yield, Producing that much more wheat would have required farming an additional 346 million hectares of wheat worldwide, and that would have had to come from wild lands. There really isn't that much land available. The other excellent part of the wheat sustainability record is that a lot of the crop today is being grown with no-till and other minimum tillage systems, and there's another podcast that you can listen to about that. Because the weeds are controlled with herbicides instead of plows and harrows, these farmers vastly reduce erosion, save fuel, and improve soil health. So the next time you enjoy some excellent bread, crackers, or pasta, think about it as a tasting for quality and about the terroir involved in the wheat behind the experience. Because in many ways, wheat is like wine. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.